0: dateline august 14th 2010
1: well g'day folks and welcome back to the australia desk for episode 110 of the airplane geek show grant it doesn't seem all that long since we were doing the episode 100 oh uh, uh, yeah i i think i'm still recovering from the hangover you know Oh, I see, Grant. So all of the having the flu and all these other aches and pains you've been complaining of the last few weeks, it's actually nothing to do with what people might expect. It's actually self-induced.
0: Yeah, well, you know, when you drink and go on a bender down in Australia, you do it properly, mate. But, uh, you know, I'd better sober up because we're going to have to watch out for that police action that yeah, uh, police the guys action. are
1: talking about now. Yeah, I suppose we'll have to send Maxie's boat back now.
0: Yeah, well, although then again, knowing these guys, if it's a police action, maybe it's going to be more like police academy. Yeah, well, the village people, you never
1: know. Oh, 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 oh don't go there. <laughs> anyway, whilst I'm not contemplating that, Grant, let's contemplate this, our good friends at Qantas. Well, they have be making some money.
0: Yeah, just a tad. They did actually manage to make a profit in the last financial year. Here in Australia, our financial year's run from July 1st to June 30th, and Qantas have just released their results for the previous financial year, and they are showing that they have made a profit. It's not as big as the year before, and they're making a lot of big noise about how cool it is, and this is great, and we're doing doing really well and Unfortunately, once you peel back the wrappers, you discover that uh, the reason they're doing quite well is that approximately 70% of their profit was due to their frequent flyer program. Basically, by selling out access to frequent flyers, they've made about 70% of their profit. The remaining profit that came from their um, flying, such as Freight and Jetstar and Qantas Mainline, International, Domestic, etc., of that, the bulk of the profit on all their flying was uh, mostly in the first half of the year. The last half of the year plummeted profit was quite drastically low. So when Virgin Blue turned around a month or two ago and said, hey, we're dropping our uh, profit forecast because of a softening in the market, and Qantas was running around going, no, no, it's all fine. Not a problem here. Quite clearly, they too have been impacted by the softening in the market and Tiger prowling down around the bottom end of the market as well.
1: Yeah, on a positive side though, Grant, just looking at this, it's interesting to see how they've um, really had to diversify to broaden their revenue base. Listeners would be probably sick of us banging on these days about how Qantas mainline seems to be dying with all this uh, new world carriers and concepts coming along even from within their own group so it's it's interesting and I actually think positive that they're looking at other revenue streams in order to keep the airline afloat, I think it's a good thing.
0: Oh no, definitely kudos to them for making a profit at all, kudos to them for grabbing opportunities and and, and uh, finding new ways of making money but uh, it's, it's not as good as a lot of the spin coming out during their presentations it's not as good as some of the um, reporters are saying. It's good, but there's indications that it's going to be a very interesting financial year coming up. And I think that a big indication of that is the fact that they've given no dividend to shareholders. They're not paying out money to their shareholders. So uh, I think they're going to be hanging on to that capital and getting ready for it. A bit more of a storm before it's clear.
1: Yeah. So as it is with all like uh, company spin, that all seems like a bit of a diversion when they're you know they're spinning it up one way and making it sound all all rosy. When in fact, if they're not uh, paying out any dividends to their shareholders, then uh, that really is a bit of spin. But speaking of Qantas aircraft that are spinning around and perhaps going in a different direction, uh, one of their 380s, Grant, this week has uh, made a first.
0: That's right. For the first time ever, an A380 has landed in Noumea. Uh, there was a Qantas A380 on its way into the east coast of Australia, coming from the US when. Uh, due to weather they had to divert. There was fog in Sydney, there was bad weather in Melbourne and uh, Brisbane wasn't having much luck with good weather either. So the uh, crew were faced with the extreme likelihood that they would be trying to hold for an unknown time on rapidly running out fuel. So they diverted to Numia and uh, yeah, interesting to know that that airport can actually handle an A380.
1: You know, it's actually been set up there as a diversion point for the A380s as part of the programs that a lot of air- airports around the world have been undergoing so that they can take this very large aircraft aircraft on. So uh, actually, uh, I'm sure that the people in Newmia would have been quite uh, quite chuffed to have seen that aircraft touch down on their soil.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I'd say it'd be quite a crowd gatherer. But uh, a big crowd that did gather was all the passengers because the crew had maxed out their time. They weren't able to wait out for the weather to clear. So everyone had to deplane and wait for a 747 to come and pick them up.
1: Mm, in Yumea, how awful for them. Yes, I know. Uh, Pacific Island. Hmm. Terrible, terrible. Yeah, they'd be, they really would have been in a hurry to get back here to wintery Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, Grant, let's stick on the uh, subject of Qantas. Now, uh, Gavin uh, Webeloff in the last episode of the Airplane Geeks was uh, asking us, or actually gave us a bit of homework, Grant, and he wanted us to uh, check out the uh, situation with Qantas flight attendants and uh, how they go about crewing their aircraft. So we've done a bit of research. The results are in. Grant, what did we find out? Oh, yes, we found out a doozy. And uh, this was done back in 2007 or so.
0: Basically, Qantas had not been recruiting any long-haul cabin crew for a while. They'd actually laid off 1,500. They had about 3,000 cabin crew left, and they'd seen the success of Jetstar and their ability to cut costs by having crew on quite reduced rates and benefits and so on, and they wanted to do the same with Qantas mainline. Naturally, the union said, no, this is not on. So Qantas turned around and said, well, we'll get rid of a lot of you, and it was quite clear that uh, Qantas were working to set up bases in the UK and Singapore and other places. The writing was on the wall so the union took the step of sacrificing benefits for their future members to ensure that their current members had a good deal. So the union negotiated with Qantas and organised pay rises, better uh, conditions and better benefits for existing cabin crew while saying that for any new cabin crew that would be hired by Qantas Cabin Crew Australia they would be on reduced rates and have fewer benefits. So we a uh, an original what we might call the old guard cabin crew crew are pulling in $80,000, the new cabin crew can only be pulling in $50,000 for equivalent kind of workload. And of course, the old guard all have seniority, so they get to pick the best routes and the best trips and packages and so on. And everyone from Qantas Cabin Crew Australia gets to pick the rest. So that's what Qantas did. It's the way they're doing everything now. Uh, we're seeing this with pilots. They're currently doing negotiations for a new contract with the pilots. They've tried doing it with the flight engineers. They're trying to do it with uh, ground support staff. Uh, all new contracts, all new structures And the unions are basically saying Yes, okay, we'll just have to do it Because there's nowhere else they can go
1: Yeah, I think it comes to a point too, Grant Where uh, you know these unions over the last 10 or 15 years Have been forced in, into a position of trade-offs pay increases for efficiencies and, and all this sort of stuff and I guess they, it comes to a point where there's nothing left to trade off and, and that's when the companies can really really sink the teeth in there and you know really really get nasty really play hardball if that's what they want to do and you know you can look at it here and say well it was a really short-term thinking on the part of the of their union perhaps but then really they probably didn't have any other choice is the way I would read that um, so the best outcome they could have there is to look after the members they have now unfortunately as more and more new hires come on, on the uh, the new contracts, it makes the uh, you know the more senior cabin crew less attractive to remain in the employ of Qantas. And uh, the next time some enterprise bargaining agreements come along, uh, I can see that Qantas is really going to play hardball on that issue. That's
0: probably coming up in another year or so. Um, Qantas Cabin Crew Australia should uh, was supposed to be a three-year operation or thereabouts. Uh, so it's pretty much reaching that point at the moment. So it'll be very interesting to see where it goes pretty soon.
1: Yep. So there you go, Gavin. I hope that's uh, helped you out in some way. And uh, I know I learned a a little bit about that I wasn't uh, actually up on that myself so we've all learned something from that homework and now my brain hurts anyway just before we finish off this week folks uh, we've got a special treat for you just before we started recording here we knocked off another wonderful interview with the Red Bull Air Race 2008 world champion Hannes Ark uh, he joined us on the line from Austria so we're just going to play for you a little bit of a snippet here we started off in this section of the interview by asking him uh, what it was like flying in front of a, a home crowd there in Germany and finished off by getting his impressions of flying in New York and how was it uh, virtually in front of a home crowd, I guess, being there uh, in that part of the world, Hannes? Did that help to uh, focus your mind a bit?
2: Absolutely. I mean, the motivation was, again, quite down, you know, at be, be, the beginning of the race, not just us, like all the teams, everybody, because uh, all the announcement that the race doesn't go on in 2011. So, so it was really hard to motivate. And then I said to myself, and I briefed my team and said, look, guys, uh, that's what we owe to ourselves, you know, because we are racing guys. We love the race, you know, we love what we do. So we, we stick uh, to the air race and we, we do it till till uh, the last race. And that's what we did. Also, uh, we owed it to our fans, you know. And that was cool because somehow it was the last race for a long time, you know. Last race of the season, I could show that I'm really a fast pilot, that I've been basically the fastest of this season it was at home uh, lots of fans have been there so it was a very very emotional race and for me personally very very motivating to take that motivation with me uh to keep on uh, uh fighting for the race and hopefully it comes back
0: well with the season that's just been which uh, which track was your favorite this year
2: that's a good question I think Perth was a very difficult one from uh, from from the tactics point of view, a combination of tactics and uh, trying to find the right line. Rio de Janeiro, I liked Rio very much. It was a very smooth track. It was not like an action-packed track. Uh, it was, you had to fly very fine, very much to find the detail to take on the energy. But most I think I loved uh, winter. Also, I nearly crashed, but winter was... <laughs> was was a cool track you know I knew it from there from the year before and yeah I just, I just loved Winter. I mean it, that was action you know but I love it yeah, yeah. I think How Winter did- was my, my most favorite track.
0: How did you find New York as a first time to go there?
2: <laughs> yeah, New York was interesting. New York for me, especially for me, as an Austrian, you know, because I never have been in New York and then as an Austrian growing up in a small place, mountain landscape, nature, on, and then you, you're down there and the first time you approach the track, you face the skyline of Manhattan and this, this uh, big, big uh, town just in front of you, you know, with all the history and all the that, that emotions involved there, you know. So that was quite cool to approach and I had the problems to focus when I approached the first training but I mean once in the track the track is the same than any other track and New York we all have been afraid that the track is too tight but it was not it was it was also a nice track to fly except that I clipped the button.
0: That one little detail. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So there you go, folks. Another wonderful interview with Hannes Now I haven't started editing that one yet, but uh, we would anticipate that one being released on Playing Crazy Down Under somewhere within the next month or so. So you'll just have to keep listening and looking at our website and uh, we'll keep you up to date on that one. Yeah, great stuff. Really happy that these pilots, these Red Bull Air Race pilots, Grant, they're so willing to come on and and share so many highly technical details with us. And uh, it's, it's just a wonderful thing. A shame the race is not coming back next year, but we remain, hopeful that it will be back in 2012 oh fingers crossed mate yeah otherwise who else are we going to interview on playing crazy under. we'll have to interview rob mark oh no steve don't let us go to that level (laughs) yes we've had him on the show once before that's enough we'll let him on once a year careful that means it's coming up for his next repeat appearance yeah well we better go before he kicks us off folks until next week i'm steve visher and i'm grant mccarran cheers folks